The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. Stocks trying to avoid a three-day slide after yesterday's hotter-than-expected inflation read. Producer prices on tap today. The wait is over as SoftBank-backed Arm prices its IPO at the top of the range with the stock set to start trading today in what will be the biggest listing since Rivian. The clock is ticking with no deal in sight as union members prepare to walk off the job at Ford and GM. We look at the possible economic costs. Plus, it's the Fed next week, but today it's all about the ECB and what could be its first rate pause after nine straight hikes. And later, Berkshire is souring a bit on one major PC maker. It's Thursday, September 14th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange CNBC. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Seema Modi in for Frank Holland. Let's kick things off with a look at how stocks are trading. After back-to-back losses for the Dow, we're looking at stocks indicated higher at this moment in pre-market trade with the Dow up 30 points, Nasdaq up 45, and S&P 500 indicated open by 8 points. Let's take a look at what's happening in the bond market, which did react more to that hotter-than-expected CPI read yesterday with a 10-year yield uh, now at 4.26%, the two-year short end of the curve at 4.9%. In the energy world, you'll see oil, of course, has been trading right around its highest level since November of 2022. And we're seeing gains once again this morning with WTI at $89.29, Brent crude above $90 a barrel. Turning to our top story, though, Arm Holdings pricing its IPO last night at the top of its expected range, with trading set to begin on the Nasdaq today. CNBC senior tech reporter Arjun Karpal joining me now with what we could expect and how big of a deal this is in the UK, Arjun. Yeah, good morning, Seema. Well, look, uh, what we know is Arms pricing those shares at $51 per share at the top of the range, giving it a valuation of $54.5 billion. Arm raising nearly $5 billion here, uh, and it will trade on the Nasdaq under the ticker of ARM listing details here, ARM listing around 95.5 million ADSs with the option of underwriters to buy an additional 7 million shares. Importantly, SoftBank's going to retain 90% of the shares of this company, remaining its biggest shareholder. It comes at an uh, interesting time for both of these companies. For SoftBank, it's coming off the back of massive losses at its key vision fund at a time when it's trying to shore up its balance sheet and show investors that it's going to go back on what it calls the offensive and begin investing in new areas like AI. For ARM, it's facing a slowdown in its core market of smartphones. Revenue fell in the last fiscal year by 1% in the smartphone market, showing no signs of the recovery. Here in the UK, it's seen as a bit of a blow seamer because this company, of course, a British company, is listing in the US and not on the London Stock Exchange. The London Stock Exchange has said a few months ago it's still holding 
out hope that it could see a dual listing for ARM here in the UK. But clearly, for this IPO, investors are going to need to grapple uh, with a number of key risks for the company. One of the biggest ones is China, where it gets around 24% of revenues wholly through a subsidy called ARM China, which it has no control in. That's one of the risks the company has warned on. It's also warned on geopolitical risk, as well as rising competition to its key chip architecture. But clearly, demand very high here. Reports that this IPO is multiple times oversubscribed and arm uh, pricing here at the top of the range. Question is, of course, did SoftBank leave money on the table? But all eyes uh, on arm when it comes to market later today, Seema. On that note, how would you say arm holdings valuation has evolved over the last coming over the last two to three years? Well, look, SoftBank bought this in, in 2016 for $32 billion. It's coming onto the market for just over $54 billion. So that's a pretty decent uh, return for SoftBank. There were thoughts that perhaps this could be priced at north of $60 billion. But it's coming into the market at a time, of course, of caution uh, amongst investment towards tech companies, but also high interest in the area of AI, as seen by NVIDIA's massive blistering rally this year. The difference is this is not an NVIDIA. This is a very different prospect, which still makes a lot of its money from uh, the architecture that underlines 99% of the world's smartphone chips. And so this is an area that's stagnating. This is an area where growth is slowing and, and growth prospects aren't looking so great. And the question is, how does ARM find new growth? Is it in uh, architecture for chips that go into data center? That's an area that they're looking at quite a lot. Or is it in the automotive space? Another area they've put a lot of promise on uh, as well. And I think invest this, this valuation is an indication that uh, of a bit of caution, it's not hit the high end that perhaps uh, SoftBank had hoped for. But certainly it's somewhere in the middle where it's recognizing all of those different challenges, but the potential opportunity as well in some of those new areas, Seema. Yeah, we'll see how it trades on the first day. Arjun, thank you. And CNBC will have complete coverage of ARM's trading debut, including exclusive conversations with ARM CEO Rain Haas and SoftBank founder and CEO Masayoshi Sun starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. Don't miss TV. Let's now get a check on some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau here with that. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Seema. Good morning to you. Well, it's coming down to the wire. The United Auto Workers Union is making a final preparation to strike against Ford, General Motors and Stellantis after existing contracts expire at 11.59 p.m. tonight. UAW President Sean Fain ruling out any extension on the contracts, adding initial walkouts will be limited and targeted with the potential to expand if an agreement is not met. In response to Fain's comments, General Motors says it continues to bargain in good faith and is making progress in key areas. And we're watching shares of Hewlett-Packard. Berkshire Hathaway disclosing it just sold 5.5 million shares in the company since Monday, marking its first sale of HP stock since accumulating a 12% stake in the company last year. The move coming after HP lowered its full-year profit forecast during its most recent quarter due to a slump in PC and China demand, with shares down 19% since Berkshire first disclosed its stake.
And X, that's the company formerly known as Twitter, is agreeing to try and settle claims by thousands of former employees who claim they were scammed out of severance pay when Elon Musk bought the company and laid them off. Bloomberg says nearly 2,000 former employees are accusing X of multiple labor and workplace violations during Musk's $44 billion takeover last year. The lawyers for those employees say X has failed to show up in court, Zima. Wow, a story we will continue to watch. Silvana, thank you. Investors largely liking what they saw with yesterday's CPI numbers, with the core rate coming in just a touch higher than expected. That could solidify their bets the Fed will hold the line on rates when Jerome Powell and policymakers meet next week. Traders are pricing in a 97% chance of no rate hike this month. But the outlook is a little uncertain if you look further out, with roughly 40% odds for a quarter-point hike at the Fed's next meeting on November 1st. Let's discuss that and broader markets now with Mark Avalon, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, good morning. Good morning. What was your read of this hotter-than-expected inflation report, uh, specifically when you break down services where we saw hospitality, uh, airfares come in a bit higher than expected? Well, it wasn't surprising to me, and, and it's because of the factors you're, you're mentioning. I mean, we travel a lot. We uh, have client meetings and hotels are sold out. Planes are sold out. The pricing is through the roof. And the wages that the workers at these organizations are earning are higher than the Fed's target. So if you have higher costs for the providers, higher demand from consumers, higher prices is the natural result. And people should not be surprised. We also looked in that report at the higher oil prices, higher energy prices, even if the Fed tries to take oil out of their numbers and their data crunching. Oil is a part of other component parts throughout this cycle, throughout the economic chain. So we are not surprised that inflation is stubborn and we expect it to remain so. What does this mean for investors then if this does raise the possibility of another interest rate hike in November? Well, we think investors are, are, are savvy to consider that as a possibility, but I don't think we need to panic. I think we are nearing the end of a rate hike cycle. I just think we're going to be higher for longer. I think the Fed's going to have to gently back off this 2% target and live with something between 2 and 3%, and bond yields will steady and level out, and stocks can do well in that environment. They have in the past. I don't think we have to push a panic button just because the Fed's not going to be cutting rates in the near future. All right. So don't hit the panic button. But what does this mean for banks, which have underperformed so far this year? We've seen profits being hit by higher interest rates. If we are, in fact, going to be living in this environment of higher for longer, how does that affect their uh, path to growth and, and profitability going forward? Well, that's a great question because banks are in a real conundrum here. They are at a major cost disadvantage with the growing online deposit gathering machines of the online banks. So then they have to compete at a, at a detriment to their bottom line. But what's almost worse is what's called the internal disintermediation where their deposits, which were at zero and 1%, are now being forced to reprice at four and 5% as consumers come in their branches or call online and ask for the competitive rate. That crushes their net interest margin. Their top line is being compressed. 
all while an economy is slowing and you may have credit problems. And if you have credit losses combined with a lower gross margin on the deposit side, this is going to cause problems for their profits. Their only way out, as we see it right now in the near term, is a massive merger wave, which is long overdue. That will help with costs, and that will help them be more competitive in in a very competitive financial services space. Yeah, it certainly hasn't been a good year. We're looking at the KBE down nearly 16% in 2023. Mark, thank you for your time. That's Mark Avalon. And a lot coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much on ARM's public market debut, including the biggest risks for investors who plan to get in early. Plus, what Wall Street can expect from Christine Lagarde and company when the ECB releases its latest policy decision in just about three hours from now. Later, the CBC Financial Advisor 100 list is out. We speak with number six ranked John Mullen on the advice he is giving to clients during one of the worst months historically for stocks. A very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 1- 844-COSENTIX. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. There's U.S. futures uh, higher. Dow currently up 56 points, indicated higher at this hour. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Sort of mixed right now. Jamana Bersacci in London with the early trade. Jamana. Good morning, Seema. Well, it's a big day for Europe today. We've got that ECB decision coming up later today. The market is 66% price for a 25 basis point hike. And this has moved up quite a lot in the last couple of days after a Reuters report emerged suggesting that the ECB may be looking to upgrade their 2024 inflation forecast, which would give them, of course, the excuse to hike by 25 basis points today. So going into that, it's a bit of a mixed picture. We've got the German index down about a tenth of a percent, the French index down an equal amount, but some positivity on the Spanish market. The Italian index is also down about eight basis points. And here, the ECB have actually sent a letter criticizing the Italian government's decision to impose a windfall tax on the banking system over there. So we're seeing some of those Italian banks come under selling pressure. Over in the UK, a bit of an, a different reaction to what we had yesterday. Remember, those GDP numbers came in quite disappointing for the month of July. Today, however, we are seeing a positive price action, namely on back of commodities. We are seeing a spike in the price of 
of oil and, of course, in basic, basic resources that's impacting the UK index. As for sectors, this is where leadership is coming from uh, for Europe as a whole. We've got retail underperforming. Auto is also very much in focus. Remember, yesterday we were talking about the uh, address from the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, the State of the Union, whereby she said that they were going to be launching an investigation into anti-subsidy practices by the Chinese government into EV makers. We also heard a retaliation from the Chinese on that front. So it seems as though the auto sector is caught in the crosswinds of uh, the shots that are being fired between Europeans and Chinese on the auto auto side of things. The flip side, however, I did mention miners, commodities doing quite well today, up 2%, oil and gas up 1.1%, and then utilities, a relative defensive sector, up 7 tenths of a percent. However, all eyes will be on that ECB decision in a few hours, Seema. Yeah, and looking forward to your coverage as well. Uh, Jumana, thank you. Just Jumana Bersechi. Sticking with the overseas action, a new report from the Rhodium Group showing U.S. and European firms are increasingly moving investments away from China due to pressure from the country's business environment, slumping economic recovery and ongoing political tensions. Rhodium says investment into China dropped to less than $20 billion last year compared to $120 billion peak in 2018 with firms diversifying into countries like India, Mexico, Vietnam, Malaysia, this echoing recent moves by U.S. companies like Apple, which is looking to produce more high-end phones in India. Joining me to discuss is Zoe Liu, fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. She's also the author of Sovereign Funds, How the Communist Party of China Finances Its Global Ambitions. Zoe, I always learn a lot from you. Uh, first to the news this week, which is Mexico now being uh, announced as our largest trading partner here in the U.S. How, how does China respond to this, if at all, this idea that more companies are not only nearshoring, but moving business to other countries? Hi, good morning, Seema. It's always good to see you. And I also learn a lot from you as well. Um, you know, China, the, 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 the news about Mexico, Mexico has become our largest trading partner. I think there are a lot of noise there, specifically because Chinese companies have also been moving to countries like Mexico to benefit from uh, free trade agreement with the United States. So from that perspective, I think we are observing not just the foreign companies trying to nearshore or uh, onshore, or uh, Chinese companies have also been doing that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it comes at a time where obviously the economic data has not held up very well. Uh, tomorrow, we're expecting retail sales and industrial activity uh, out of Beijing. In the meantime, do you think sentiment has reached sort of peak negative? That's what one of our guests yesterday said, Richir Sharma from Rockefeller Capital. Um, I think perhaps the, the debate is, has always been trying to balance between whether it is peak China or peak pessimism. Uh, I think a lot of this so far has been tomorrow's number will, will really be critical to uh, trying to figure out whether the Chinese uh, econo economy has been is heading towards a more uh, or deeper uh, deflationary status. But I would have to say right now, uh, Confidence is key. It's not just that a confidence is uh, you know, a deflationary status, but also uh, policies, policy making have been in a sort of deflationary status. Because uh, whether if you look at uh, con the consumer market or real estate uh, or anti-corruption, uh, from consumers' perspective or household, people have been thinking about, well, you know, government have been giving a lot of uh, trying to stimulate the economy. So why not just wait? If I wait, perhaps the prices would go even lower. So you, you see the um, policies have been uncertain. And uh, 
uh, it's very much deflationary. Yeah, we haven't gotten that bazooka-style stimulus program just yet that many Wall Street analysts were anticipating. The UN meetings kick off next week. How do you expect China to come up in the conversation? Um, I would. I think there there are two important aspects. Uh, perhaps economy is one, and then the other would be related to sustainable development. So related to economy, and then the other part of that would probably be related to the geopolitics with regard to Russia, with regards to China's role or China's relationship with Taiwan. Okay, we'll be looking for those developments. Uh, Zoe, thanks for joining us today. Zoe Liu of CFR. And straight ahead here on the show, weeding out the AI pretenders, regulators cracking down on some Ashton Kutcher-inspired NFTs and getting kicked out of the Delta Sky Club. Your top trending stories, they're all coming up after this short break. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Investors gearing up for another look at inflation today on the heels of yesterday's CPI report. That data showing the Fed continues to face challenges in tamping down elevated prices ahead of next week's policy meeting. And that's keeping investors on their toes when it comes to their finances and navigating this unpredictable environment, with many doing so with the help of an investment advisor. CNBC's fifth annual financial advisor 100 list is recognizing firms helping clients successfully navigate this uncertainty. We're joined by John Mullen, president of Parsons Capital Management, number six on this year's list and its fourth time on it. John, welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Thank you very much for having me, Seema. Well, it's a great time to have you on, given what we heard yesterday on the inflation front. We're waiting for producer prices today, all as we count down to Jerome Powell next week. But what are you advising clients to do with their money right now? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's it's a tough market right now, right? Because there's a lot of push and pull happening, um, and the inflation number coming in a little bit hot. Uh, people are nervous, and uh, the thing that we really keep pushing to our clients is we have an investment plan. We're invested according to you know what is comfortable for you. Stick with the plan and try to ignore the outside noise. Try to ignore these uh, things that might make you nervous, make uh, a a bad choice in investments, uh, because when you panic, you can really make a mistake that uh, you wind up regretting. How should one be uh, diversified right now? Equities versus bonds, U.S. versus overseas investments? Sure. Yeah. Um, So we I mean, you know, for a long time after the global financial crisis, Equities were really the only place to be where you get a return, right? Um, and recently, with the rise in bond yields, we have been investing more back into the bond market, rebalancing more to a traditional sort of portfolio that you might have seen uh, pre-2008. Um, so we've been relatively short with our fixed income for clients, uh, starting to add some duration now that we've seen uh, yields really come up. Um, 
as far as international versus domestic, we tend to favor domestic much more than international. If it is international, it's probably more developed uh, than emerging. We have uh, some excitement growing, I should say, in the IPO market with arms set to go public today. Biggest listing since Rivian two years ago. Uh, how should you how should investors play this one? We would probably stay to the side, see how it plays out. Um, being such a hot IPO, it could be a big first day, but then you've seen some of these pop come back down. Uh, we'd be a little uh, we'd be a little nervous to chase it right off the start. Okay, back to inflation. I really want to get your thoughts on what's happening in the energy market because, as the CPI report showed us, gas prices up ten percent just in the month of August. How do we expect consumers to respond? We think actually consumers are going to be uh, really impacted by the rise in gas prices. And then you add that in with student loan repayments starting again, a lot of the pandemic era uh, uh, policies that were helping consumers have started to roll off. So we think consumer spending is probably a little restrained in the months to come as you are spending more to fill up your tank. You are starting to repay your loans. Uh, credit card balances are high already and the interest rates on those are going up. So. The consumer is probably in a bit of a, a tough spot right now as we look over the next couple of quarters. And that's exactly what we heard from the big retailers uh, this earnings season. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll see how that plays out in the coming months. John, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Simo. It was great, great to be here. John Mullen. And a reminder to join CNBC's Financial Advisors Summit on October 12th for key conversations on what advisors can do now to position their clients for the best possible outcomes as we head into the last quarter of the year. Scan the QR code on your screen to register or visit cnbcevents.com slash FA. And still to come here on the show, could the Schultz era at Starbucks be finally over or could it be another head fake? We'll be right back. It's about 5.30 a.m. in New York, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Get ready for ARM's trading debut after the chip designer prices shares at the top end of its expected range in one of this year's most anticipated IPOs. And down to the wire, auto, wake, auto workers preparing to hit the picket line just hours from now as contract talks with Detroit's Big Three remain at a standstill. And the high price of renting a place in the Big Apple appearing to hit a ceiling after notching record highs. It is Thursday, September 14th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Frank at Holland at this hour. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off a two-day losing streak. And yesterday's hotter-than-expected inflation read sort of pulling through this market with the Dow currently higher by 85 points. So we could be in for a rebound. S&P 500 up 14 points in pre-market trade. We will get another important read this morning, this time for August PPI. Economists are expecting a 0.4% month-over-month tick higher compared to up 0.3% in July. Ahead of all of that, take a look at what's happening in the bond market. The benchmark 10-year yield is currently uh, trading at 4.25%. And it really was the bond market that reacted to that CPI report more so than equities. And part of the story as to why inflation is high is because gas and oil prices continue to move higher. On that note, take a look at what's happening in the energy market, ice brand crude above $92 a barrel. WTI crude at its highest level since November of last year, trading at $88.99.
Let's get a check, though, on some of this morning's top corporate stories. And that's Silvana Hanau, who will wrap up all of that for us. Silvana, good morning. Seema, good morning to you. Starbucks announcing that former CEO Howard Schultz is leaving the coffee giant's board. The company said the change, which is effective immediately, was part of a planned transition. Schultz, who stepped down as CEO in March, will still hold the title of chairman emeritus. Goldman Sachs reportedly firing several executives over what the bank calls serious violations of its communications policies. According to reports, the leaders were a part of Goldman's transaction banking unit. The reports add the execs communicated on unauthorized channels and didn't comply with an internal review. And sky-high rental prices in Manhattan apparently hitting a ceiling. Data from Miller Samuel and brokerage Douglas Element showing the median rent for new leases signed last month was $4,400. Now, that's unchanged from the record set in July. Data also showing the number of new leases in August dropped 14% from a year ago, Seema. That still seems really high. Really interesting. Silvana, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Now to our top story, Arm Holdings pricing its IPO last night at the top of its expected range at $51 a share with a valuation of more than $54 billion. Now that makes it the largest such public debut since Rivian back in 2021. The big winner here set to be SoftBank and its CEO Masayoshi Son, which will own some 90% of the company upon its debut. Not to be outdone, high-profile ARM customers, including Apple, Samsung, NVIDIA, Taiwan Semiconductor, are all pledging to buy shares in the IPO. ARM set to begin trading today on the NASDAQ under the ticker ARM. Let's discuss and bring in Sarah Russo, senior analyst covering European semiconductors at AB Bernstein, and Beg Harburg, MSA Capital Managing Partner, a Beijing-based VC and PE firm that counts Meituan our Airbnb, Palantir, and DD as past investments. Great to have you both on. Ben, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you think the level of perception is around ARM's IPO? Overall, I think it's really fully priced. Uh, it's, it, it seems expensive to me. It's trading at 20 times revenue. That's the same as NVIDIA. It's growing at high single digits. NVIDIA at uh, over 100%. Other industry comps trading at 12 to 15 percent and them growing maybe three times the pace of of, of, of this IPO. Uh, also, I think the games that um, SoftBank played pre-IPO with the sale at about double the price they bought it. So 62 billion uh, relative to the 30, uh, 64 to the 32 billion they bought it for. It just feels to me like it, 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 it smacks of, of being fully priced with a lot of geopolitical and commercial risk uh, to boot. Hmm. Sarah, I know one of the risks a lot of investors have been highlighting for Arm is its exposure to China. How would you uh, size that up? Yeah, they entered China in an interesting way in 2018. They already had a strong business there. And in order to protect that business, they went into a joint venture, which they took a minority stake and enabled Chinese investors to come in. Arm China is now their only way to sell in China. Uh, they get about a 90% um, revenue share, but they have no direct control over that entity and they don't maintain the customer relationships in China. They continue to see about 20 to 25% of revenues and the Chinese seem to indicate they want ARM to be there. They really want access to that, to that technology and ARM continues to be successful, but it's not without risk considering they don't have direct control over that entity. 
Let's talk about its core business, uh, Sarah, as it tries to pivot from not just smartphones, but now uh, find that opportunity within data centers, which we know NVIDIA has been also playing a bigger role in. Yeah, ARM's opportunity in data center is is slightly different than, than NVIDIA's. ARM specializes in low-power CPUs, and they are going up against x86 and challenging very, very directly for that uh, market in the data center. So they've worked with AWS. AWS has licensed their technology and now runs a good portion of their estate, about 20% of it, on ARM-based compute. And they're seeing, seeing a cost savings of up to 40% for that. So ARM has a really good opportunity. They work with a, a, a startup called Ampere, who is doing ARM-based compute for the data center. So you don't have to design your own chips anymore. You can work with Ampere and seeing some good success with, with other players getting into that space. So we like this opportunity longer term. But for now, it is a small part of revenues for them. Ben, on that note, how much of the conversation around ARM will be centered on, on its opportunity within artificial intelligence? To me, it still feels like a little bit of hype. Uh, they're not deriving any revenue today from the AI side of things specifically. Um, as Sarah mentioned, there's room to run perhaps in the automotive space and cloud. Um, you know, they're already 99% exposed to the global uh, consumer handset market. Uh, that looks to, to see declines and, and slower growth about 6%. So, um, you know, where, where we're probably most excited about would be in the cloud and AI space. But again, um, you know, they're projecting that they're going to be growing and or, or that, that this is a business that's going to increase its revenues tenfold. I, I see that challenge. And again, they have huge concentration risk in China with this uh, high, highly unreliable partner. Sarah, when I look at the performance of chip stocks, they've had an incredible year. That certainly sets up a nice opening for, for ARM today. Yes, people are, are excited about this IPO. I think there's a lot of fondness. Um, I, I'm based in the UK. A lot of UK investors who, who know this, this, this company from before are excited to see it come back to market. Um, I think this is an opportunity for, for people to invest in the semi-industry. There is growth here. I think I agree with Ben that it does feel a bit a bit of a full valuation at this point. Well, we'll be watching to see not only how ARM performs, uh, but if it really opens up the floodgates for the IPO market. Uh, Sarah, great to see you. Ben, thank you as well. We'll be watching. Take care. And CBC will have complete coverage of ARM's trading debut, including exclusive conversations with ARM CEO Rain Haas and SoftBank founder and CEO Masayoshi Son starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. Coming up on the show, Apple firing back at the latest crackdown out of Europe over sales of one of its most popular devices. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Time now for your morning call sheet. BMO Capital raising its rating on First Solar to outperform. It says recent weakness in the stock following its recent analyst day presents an attractive entry point for investors. Shares right now up 2.3%. Jefferies raising its rating and price target on MetLife to buy and $72 per share. It says the stock's year-to-date performance compared to its peers has been stable and the company has generated improvements in excess capital above its competitors. Shares right now up 1%. And Wolf Research raising its rating on Etsy to outperform. It says growth for the company should improve with a macro recovery and there are plenty of opportunities to improve margins. You'll see shares are up over 3%. Time now for your global briefing. Here's what's happening 
outside the U.S. Beijing is calling out the European Commission over its new investigation into China's electric vehicle industry and the state subsidies that support it. China's Ministry of Commerce says the probe is a, quote, naked protectionist act that will seriously disrupt and distort the global automotive industry and supply chain. Investors getting ready for the latest rate decision from the European Central Bank due out at 8.15 a.m. Eastern. Economists polled by Reuters expects the bank to keep rates unchanged at 3.75 percent, despite inflation still running well above its target. The ECB has raised rates nine straight meetings in a row. And Apple firing back at French regulators after they ordered a sales stop to its iPhone 12 model, claiming it breaches EU radiation exposure limits. In a statement, Apple says the iPhone 12, launched in 2020, was certified by multiple international bodies as compliant with global radiation standards. The French order raises odds of even more bans across the bloc, including one in Germany. Ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know. Plus, why our next guest calls this telecom company recently at the center of a very public contract standoff, one of her top picks. We've got that name coming up. And join us for Delivering Alpha Investor Summit on September 28th in New York City, with investors and leaders coming together to provide insights, ideas, market analysis to help you make better returns. Scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash deliveringalpha to sign up. We are back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Arm pricing its IPO at the top of its expected range at $51 a share with a fully diluted market cap of more than $54 billion. The stock starts trading today on the Nasdaq under the ticker ARM. Don't miss two CNBC exclusives ahead of those first trades with SoftBank CEO Masayoshi Sun and the CEO of Arm. And we're watching shares of Hewlett-Packard, Berkshire Hathaway disclosing it just sold 5.5 million shares in the company since Monday, marking its first stock sale of HP stock since accumulating a 12% stake in the company. Last year, you'll see HP shares down just about 1% in pre-market. X, the company formerly known as Twitter, is agreeing to try and settle claims by thousands of former employees who claim they were scammed out of severance pay when Elon Musk bought the company and laid them off. A U.S. court is giving bankrupt crypto exchange FTX the green light to liquidate all of its cryptocurrency assets. The move will allow FTX to repay customers in U.S. dollars and minimize risks related to crypto price volatility. OpenAI expanding its overseas presence, opening an office in Dublin, marking its third office alongside its headquarters in San Francisco and London. So far, the Dublin location has nine job openings across different teams. And trucking firm Estes Express submitting a revised bid for yellow shipment centers. A new filing shows the trucking firm raised its bid from $1.3 to $1.52 billion, just topping Old Dominion Freightline's offer for the bankrupt company. Here's what to watch today. Initial jobless claims. It is Thursday and the August producer price index both due at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get earnings from Lennar and Adobe after the bell. Arm, as we said, officially begins trading on the Nasdaq today at $51 per share. And the latest monetary policy decision from the European Central Bank is due at 8.15 a.m. this morning. So a busy day. We're in the final hours before the United Autos workers contract with the big three U.S. automakers expiring at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. The union 
has been negotiating with General Motors, Ford and Stellantis for several weeks on a new four-year deal that would cover about 146,000 members. UAW President Sean Fain says the companies have bumped up their offer for wage increases to between 17.5 and 20 percent. But in a live stream last night, he says the sides remain far apart and the UAW is preparing to strike initially at a limited number of factories. We're still very far apart on our key priorities. To win, we're likely going to have to take action. And just as we have approached our negotiations differently than we have in the past, we are preparing to strike these companies in a way they've never seen before. In a statement, Ford CEO Jim Farley says the company has put four offers on the table since August 29th, and each has been generous, but they have yet to receive what he calls a genuine counteroffer. Farley says the future of the auto industry is at stake, adding he wants to avoid a, quote, disastrous outcome. Let's talk more about the financial and economic impact of a potential UAW strike with Patrick Anderson, principal and CEO of the Anderson Economic Group. Uh, Patrick, you heard the UAW president right there. He still says they're far apart. Uh, what do you think the resolution could look like? I think they are far apart on non-wage issues. But on wage issues, they don't appear that far apart. Both Ford and GM, whose contract offers we can see, are proposing double and, in fact, 20% of our wage increases. So I think the wage... Uh, the wage gap is something that can be closed through negotiation quickly. But some of the demands of the UAW for things like a return to the jobs bank or a defined benefit pension plan, these would put a bankruptcy risk on the automakers and probably would not be uh, promised to be kept to the workers because of uh, the next downturn. It's I think it just seems like the UAW leadership is mm -hmm. willing to strike, even if they have double digits. Okay. I think, uh, Patrick, well, I guess the next question is how inflationary could this UAW strike be? The UAW strike and the UPS are definitely pushing up uh, uh, prices. But inflation really starts in with, uh, with the U.S. government, with the Fed, and with the government's funding it. I don't blame the United Auto Workers or the Teamsters or any other workers for wanting wage increases. Uh, inflation is there, uh, and they didn't cause it. However, it is something where the automakers have to be sustainable. They have to be able to stay in business, and that's one of the reasons you see uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley saying there is a ceiling, and at some point we can't sustain our business in the face of Yeah. We have strong comments from both sides. Uh, Patrick, thanks for bringing your expertise to us. That's Patrick Anderson. Let's now get a check on how markets are shaping up. Futures indicated higher, with the Dow suggesting an open of 76 points to the upside, S&P 500 up 11, and the Nasdaq is seeing gains of 46 points at this hour. Analysts at J.P. Morgan are offering, though, a more cautious outlook on the markets, calling the S&P overvalued due to multiple expansion, which history suggests is unsustainable, especially as earnings expectations, they say, come under pressure going into next year. Join me, joining me to discuss this trading day ahead is Katrina Dudley, investment strategist at Franklin Mutual Advisors. Katrina, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Great. Great to be here in person. 
Well, I think we're now trying to understand, given what we heard from, uh, we got from that CPI report yesterday, what we could see on the producer price front today. I think what we're seeing on the inflation things is things are moderating, which is really what the Fed has been after. Um, we're in the camp that we actually think that inflation can have a two-handle by the end of this year, and that really means that the Fed gets to check that box, which is achieving you know, inflation moderation while not driving us into a recession. What gives you confidence we'll get to 2%, especially given the rise we're seeing in oil and gas prices? Yes, you're also, though, seeing a lot of costs moderate. So I think that you are seeing slight rises in things like um, oil and gas, but we're seeing a moderate moderation of a lot of other parts which have driven, you know, higher than expected inflation, particularly for on, on the housing front, for example. You've seen that owner-occupied rent number being very strong and it's starting to moderate. So inflation, while it's very easy to kind of point to oil prices and the impact because that's traded daily, we just think that there's really a lot of things that are going to help moderate that number. Taking a step back, we're awaiting China Chinese economic data tomorrow. Before that, we have an ECB policy meeting uh, where there could potentially be a whole uh, what would you say the word of the day is if you were to summarize where we are in terms of market action? I like the word even-handed. And the reason I like that is if I look at three things that we're looking at at the market, we really see kind of this tempered even-handedness. So let's start with the labor market. We've got you know, the, uh, the uh, jobless claims coming out, but we're seeing a really just nice balance between unemployment. We're starting to see job openings come down, which means people can access labor. The housing market, it's been good and it's been, it really just hasn't had a lot of volatility. And then finally, going back to industrials, you know, we've seen a big investment cycle. We're looking at the non-manufacturing non construction put in place, and that's been very strong, which means that companies and CEOs are really confident and they're investing because they see that same type of long-term investment opportunity that we do. So I like these type of markets because markets really thrive and multiples reflect the fact that things are actually less volatile. So you like industrials, but your top pick is in the telecom space, I believe. I know. I love cash flow machines. It's just an addiction of mine as a value investor. And Charter Communications is a cash flow machine. Um, you know, the stock had been weak, um, particularly you know, in the last year or so, because people were really concerned about leverage. Um, people were concerned about four, four and a half turns of leverage, particularly into a rising rate environment. Their debt's fixed. And one of the things we learned during COVID is how important connectivity was and Charter just provides that connectivity. So when people are working from home, either full-time or part-time, you know, they really need their services. And I just like the cash flow that they generate. I think they have the right capital structure and they have a service that we need. And, and so, a nice dividend. You know what? I am happy to take those type of thing, those type of coupons and, and take them to the bank. And when we're looking, though, at those dividends, you really need to understand what's supporting them and how stable. And that's one of the things that makes Charter to us just an attractive kind of long-term investment, something you kind of can put away and forget about. As we count down to the Fed meeting next week, how should investors be positioned right now? Is it to buy these more defensive sectors or take a break and wait to see what we get? I think the Fed for us has been so data dependent. And I think that's the mes message that came out of Jack Jackson Hole is we're watching the data. And I think that at the moment they've got enough you know, data coming to them that suggests it's okay to take a pause because we're looking for the pivot that needs to happen at the Fed bef between them saying, okay, we fought the inflation battle and we've won. And, you know, what we see is that you know, the Fed can check the 
the box in terms of, you know, as we forward look, inflation is under control. And so we then need to see them pivot to make sure that they start supporting, you know, the economy and making sure that we have a soft landing. And a soft landing is not a recession. Mm -hmm. It's just a tempering of the economy and kind of that nice even handedness. That Are you expecting uh, a rate cut sometime next year? I don't think we're going to see a rate cut early in the year. I think as we look throughout the year, if the economy weakens, the Fed may need to cut slightly. But I don't think we're looking for your, your, a significant amount of rate cuts. I think we're looking at small adjustments. Katrina, pleasure to have you on today. Katrina, Katrina Dudley, appreciate it. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.